Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel audiobook series. We are actually halfway done the book. There are 40 chapters, and we're going to be looking at 19 and 20 today in episode 10. And if you have been watching from the very beginning, you are well aware of what's going on. Uh, And if you haven't, I would recommend going back to episode one because there's a lot of subplots going on. Like uh, last episode in episode nine, Spaulding was confronted by a ghost of his past, uh, Irene, who was featured in The White Hand, and her and him had another fling. Spaulding is a married man. After uh, Spaulding felt a ton of regret, he tried to find uh, uh, Father Isaac. And we learned a little more about Father Isaac and his uh, roots into Rutherford Manor. Following that, in chapter 18, uh, Louise was at church. And funny enough, Father Haywood was doing a talk about sin. And Spaulding just looked miserable. Louise didn't want to be there, neither did Lisa. The two girls tried to get out. And uh, Louise got out first, uh, saying that she was excusing herself for the washroom. It uh, worked last time when they were at church, so they're trying it again. But uh, Maxwell finds her, and uh, he, he says some weird stuff. He, he moves her along, and his hand's lower than it should be, but not too low. It's just, yeah, it's creepy. So that's where we left off. Uh, now we're going to jump into chapter 19. Savages are going to have dinner with the Connors. Chapter 19. Distortion. Dinner gatherings are effective at bonding people together. Food is a necessity, and sharing it breaks interactions down to the basic needs. It brings strangers together and can strengthen wounded relationships. Perhaps, maybe a lick of both. Once people have a full gut, they are a little more forgiving of simple mistakes. Spalding sure hoped that was the case. He wondered if he could even stomach food. He was still stuck in the horror of the previous night the desire. It had overtaken him. It certainly hadn't helped to listen to Father Haywood. The priest had based his entire lesson that morning on sin. If there was a god, he'd certainly picked a good way to rub it in. He couldn't dwell on it too long. The Savage family was off to make new friends. Well, friends for his daughters anyway. Even then, Spaulding couldn't help but drift back to what happened staring blankly at the horse as it trotted on the residential road. The wagon hit a small bump, bringing him back to the moment just as Lisa began to whine. Don't do that, Lisa said. She was sitting next to Louise. Both girls squished between Spaulding and Penny. Why? Come on, Louise said. Girls, Penny said, taking away the stick Louise was holding, stopping her from pestering her sister. She chucked it out of the wagon. You need to behave yourself when we see the Connors. She shifted her grip on the handle of the basket she held, making sure she didn't drop the goods. Listen to your mother, Spaulding said automatically, keeping his eyes ahead. He seemed to use that statement a lot. If he let Penny do what she wanted to do when parenting the girls, then he didn't have to fight with her. He still hadn't dealt with their argument about the damn rodent. He couldn't believe that she had gone into the butcher shop just to drill into him just like she'd done in front of the girls and Lilith. Dear, Spaulding said quietly. Yes? Penny asked. Her eyes were slanted. She wasn't angry. More so blue. 
They could reason with each other now. When you came to the butcher shop... Forget it, Penny said. No, we shouldn't. Between that and the argument in the backyard... These aren't good examples for the kids. You think I don't know that? Penny asked. Now is not the time. We never came to any resolution. I don't want this to divide us. As I commit adultery, Spalding thought. That was one hell of a way of dividing a family. Can we talk about this more in detail later? Now is not the time, she repeated. Later for sure, Spalding asked. Yes, Penny said. This was good. Spalding was satisfied, knowing he could have a real talk with Penny. He wouldn't be busy with chores and the girls would be asleep. He wanted to get their marriage back to the way it used to be when they were young and excited. It seemed to be a slow, declining separation over the past decade. Their happy moments were sprinkled sparingly throughout the years. There used to be plentiful waves of joy. He assumed that was the way marriages worked. Maybe it didn't have to be that way. Girls, Penny said while snatching Louise's hand. The twin had continued to torment her sister by poking her. Penny gripped Louise tighter, letting her know that the fun was over. The girl stopped. A wise choice. The savages got off the wagon as Spalding tied up the horse. The family walked down the path leading to the Connors' home. The twins managed to unwind once Louise was restrained. They walked up to the staircase leading to the large red-painted wooden house. It was a decent size, perhaps half the size of Rutherford Manor. For one family of four, that was impressive. Coal mining business must be booming, Spalding said. Apparently, Penny said, walking up to the door. She knocked a couple of times. The family waited. A few moments later, the door unlocked and swung open, revealing Mrs. Rose Connors wearing an apron. She smiled at them and extended her hand, inviting them to come inside. The savages! What a pleasure it is to have you here! The pleasure is all ours. Rose, thank you for having us, Penny said. The savage family took off their coats and hung them up as Rose reached for the baskets they held. Here, let me help you with those, Rose said while reaching for Spaulding's. You really didn't have to bring anything. Thank you. It was the least we could do, Spaulding said examining the foyer. It was wide, with paintings mounted on the wall. The oak flooring was mostly covered by a deep green rug. The running boards and archways were intricately carved. The ornate interior clearly put the exterior to shame. Penny, please join me in the kitchen, Rose said. Of course, Penny said, following behind Rose. Mr. Savage, came Maxwell's commanding voice. Good to see you and your family once again. Maxwell came from the hallway to the left. He smiled and extended his hand. Spalding shook it. Likewise, you have a lovely home. Coal is in high demand. Someone needs to manage the mines to make sure nothing collapses. Fair enough, Spalding said. Two kids came running from the hall behind Maxwell toward the foyer. The Connors kids. They were smiling excited to see their guests. Good. That was the kind of relationship Spaulding wanted to see his girls having with other kids. Being homeschooled didn't mean they couldn't have friendships. You didn't sneak out of this one, Susie said with a smile. Louise grinned. No, they caught me this time. I like your shoes, Lisa said, pointing to Susie's feet. Where did you get them? 
father got them from Chicago. They're new. We want to go to Chicago, Lisa said. Louise tugged on Spaulding's shirt. Yes, please? Spaulding shook his head. We'll go there in due time. It's a big city. You have to be ready for it. We are, Lisa and Louise said simultaneously. Maxwell let out a low laugh. Twins, Spaulding nodded. Yeah. How about I pour us a drink? Maxwell said. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Edward, Susie, why don't you show our guests around? Maxwell said. Okay, father, Edward said with a smile. Ladies, Edward said, taking a slight bow. Son like father. Come, Spaulding, Maxwell said while walking down the hall back to the way he came. Spaulding followed. They entered the man's study, a beautiful room lined with full bookshelves, maps, and a large wooden desk, probably made of chestnut, Spaulding decided. The man clearly had expensive tastes. Maxwell walked over to the bar to the far end where he set two glasses and a bottle of whiskey, pouring them each a drink. You know, we haven't been in Rowley for long, and I can already see the potential in this small town, Maxwell said. Really? Spaulding asked. I've been here for a long time, and I have yet to see it grow. Maybe in small increments, but nothing spectacular. Maxwell handed Spaulding his whiskey. The two men toasted and took a sip. It was good. Maxwell's taste in liquor was as complex as his attire. If Spaulding had his way, he'd drown himself in all this liquid gold to forget about the previous night. Irene. The spark and the poison in singularity. Yes, this town has a lot of real estate to work with. There's also a small yet growing population. Plus, it's not far off from Chicago. Give it a few more decades and maybe it will be absorbed into the city itself. Perhaps. The distance between the two cities seems to be the same, Spaulding said. How long have you been in Rowley? Maxwell asked. You seem to know the history pretty well. As long as I can reckon, Spaulding said. Your family came to the New World or did they grow up here as well? They came here, from England. They built Rutherford Manor together with the Flesher family. Spaulding said. That's Penny's bloodline. Interesting. Maxwell stared at Spaulding. Spaulding wasn't exactly sure why the man wanted to ask these personal questions. Regardless, Spaulding was the guest. He had to play nice. So, the Savages and Fleshers have been intertwined for quite some time then. That's right. From what my father told me, the ties have run deep for generations. I never really got the full story. He passed before I could get into the details. That was partly a lie. Spaulding's father had died young, yet he knew damn well that their family ties went way back in Europe, following the same left-handed path that they did here in America. What about you? Irish descendant, I presume? Spaulding asked. Good guess. We're second generation in America. My father worked in the coal mining business too. He managed it. Eventually, I took over. Well, it was all metal management. We've never quite had the break to buy stocks into the company as I'd like. It seems to be doing you well though, Spaulding said, eyeing the fine craftsmanship of the room. Some damn good whiskey too. Thank you, Maxwell said. You could say that, yes. Moving is hard on the family though. I can imagine. 
tough for the kids to make friends and set down roots. Doesn't put the missus in a good mood for a brush either. Maxwell took a sip of his drink. Spalding raised his drink. Relatable, unfortunately. Except I just sidestepped that with a floozy from my past. Not now. He forced himself to focus on the conversation. He couldn't let himself relapse into misery. This was a positive interaction for his family. The two men continued to chat about Rowley and their heritage. Maxwell's background was straight-laced. His family had a typical start-fresh-in-the-new-world type of story. Who didn't? Spaulding was careful not to go too deep into what really went on at Rutherford Manor. He just covered the basics of their past. They were in the business of connecting people, resurrectionists, and found themselves to be quite forward-thinking. They settled down to focus on their children. Naturally, they homeschooled the girls and stayed just outside of town. Spaulding wasn't exactly sure why the man was so interested. He wasn't keen on sharing, for good reason. To think that the old lady Annie had introduced the two families. Now, here he was. The Connors were nice. Spaulding hoped the budding relationship would allow his girls to have friends their own age. As for himself, Spaulding didn't need any friends. Small talk with Maxwell was just a necessary evil of raising his girls the right way. Rose's voice came from down the hall. Dinner's ready! Ah, Maxwell said with a smile. You're going to love what my wife does with a turkey. A turkey? You're spoiling us, Spaulding said. You're our guests, and we want to provide only the best, Maxwell said, placing the whiskey glass on the bar. Spaulding did the same, and the two men exited the study. Maxwell took the lead to the dining room where a long table was set, with the main dishes in the center. Cloth placemats and gold-plated cutlery were all placed out and ready to be used. The feast would begin. Spaulding took a seat beside Penny. The adults stayed at one end of the long table, and the kids were off on the other. Edward got to the chairs first, pulling them out for Lisa and Louise like a gentleman. Maxwell nodded at his son in approval. The Connors boy was well-mannered. Spaulding preferred the separation provided by the seating arrangement. The kids could spend some time bonding without the adults interfering. Everyone dug into their meal after a traditional prayer of thanks. The food was delicious. Maxwell hadn't been lying. His wife did cook a good turkey. It even distracted the girls for the most part. Looks like the dead mouse we saw, Lisa said. No, it doesn't, Louise said. Louise, don't play with your food, Penny said sternly, looking over at the girls on the far end of the table. Lisa, focus on your plate. Dead mouse? Susie asked. It was alive when we found it, Louise said. Girls, Penny said in a low tone. Louise stabbed a chunk of meat with her fork and proceeded to eat it. Anytime Penny used her low voice, she meant business. The girls knew it. If that was the worst of their behavior for the evening, Spaulding considered it a win. The two girls fed off each other when they got excited. Once they started, it was always difficult to get them to calm down. The remainder of the dinner involved more small talk. Spaulding and Penny shared what it was like in Rowley. Since they were longtime residents of the area, they told the Connorses about a lot of the changes they had experienced in their lifetime. Maxwell and Rose were quite intrigued and reciprocated with some of their stories about living throughout the state of Illinois. When Maxwell talked about Chicago, all Spaulding could think about was the resurrectionist business. And what about your home, Rutherford Manor? Rose asked. 
It would be lovely to see it sometime. Penny and Spalding exchanged looks, waiting for the other to answer. Yeah, Spalding eventually said. We could arrange that sometime. A foot kicked Spalding under the table. That was his wife. She was trying to correct him. They were at a social gathering and he had been cornered by Rose's question. It was the polite thing to say. Penny would understand later. That would be lovely, Rose said while standing. Here, let me take care of the dishes. I'll help, Penny said, getting up. Excuse me, Louise said. Where's the restroom? Edward perked up. Oh, it's just down the hall. I can show you. I can find it, Louise said. The girl excused herself from the table and went down the hall. Susie double-checked to see that Penny and Rose were gone. She leaned over the table to Lisa. Tell me about the mouse. Kids will be kids, Maxwell said. Aye, Spalding said. Fancy another drink? Maxwell asked. Of course, Spalding said. Maxwell got up from the dining room table and headed down the hall. Spalding was left with the kids. He could use that second drink, maybe several more. He still couldn't get the bad taste of regret out of his mouth. Dinner was wonderful, full of flavors and richness. It contrasted with the bitterness that remained inside him. He had to force swallow to get the food into his mouth. His system was in rejection mode. His drink with Father Isaac the previous night hadn't been enough to chase down his mistakes. That's nuts, Edward said. Yeah, Lisa said. I think Louise ultimately killed it by poking it too much. Maxwell returned with two glasses of whiskey and gave one to Spalding. He thanked him and took a sip. It wasn't enough, but it would do. The wise returned from the kitchen several times, grabbing food and the remaining plates. Lisa chatted with Edward and Susie. Louise eventually came back, hugging her arm. She was quieter this time. Good, Spalding thought. She was always the rambunctious one of the two. If Louise was quiet, Lisa wouldn't feed off of her. The two families could enjoy a quiet post-dinner discussion, letting their stomachs digest. They could pretend to be normal people. Chapter 20 Child's Eyes Make sure they don't go too far away. Also make sure they don't have many sweets. Drink plenty of water, Mum rambled. Of course, Great Aunt Lilith said. They will not leave my side. Good, Mum said. Also make sure they are on their best behavior. Don't worry. Great Aunt Lilith said with a smile. That was Mom, always ensuring the caretakers of Lisa and Louise understood how to interact with them and treat them. Whenever it was a father or a relative, Mom had to reiterate her instructions, controlling them even from far away. Frustratingly enough, Mom was the only one that still supervised them like they were half their age. Father knew that the twins were growing up. The girls were old enough to do things on their own now. Great Aunt Lilith was one of the same mindset, hence going into town with her was always fun. Bye, Mom, Lisa said. Mom leaned down and gave both girls a big hug, finishing with a squeeze. You stay with your great aunt now, okay? Yes, Mom, the twins said together. Come now, Great Aunt Lilith said while leaving the veranda. The twins followed her while waving goodbye to Mom. The three of them hopped into the carriage that Great Aunt Lilith had set up. Just like the previous week, they were going into town. Exciting. Usually, they'd be a good couple of weeks or a month in between trips, minus church of course. Maybe this was Mom's way of letting go of her girls. 
Lisa and Louise sat on each side of Great Aunt Lilith as she spurred the horse forward. The animal trotted away from Rutherford Manor. Lisa waved again. Mom was still probably on the veranda. The wagon continued along the winding road through the forest, the same road they'd traced yesterday, for church and for dinner with the family. Susie was a nice girl. Louise liked talking to her. Her brother, not so much. Then, there was their father. Louise wondered why Edward couldn't be more like him. Sophisticated. Maybe it was maturity. Louise felt separated from boys her age. A flashback went through Louise's mind. When she'd left to find the restroom, she'd run into Maxwell in the hall. He'd placed his hand on her arm, giving her a slight rub as he walked by. It was strange, just like his words had been. It's good to see you, Louise. It'd be nice to have a conversation, not just in passing, wouldn't it? She wasn't sure what to think. She felt dumbfounded for the rest of dinner. She did like talking to him. He had interesting things to say, and he listened to her, treated her like an adult, not like Edward, who just wanted to please his parents. So, are we getting gardening supplies? Lisa asked. The voice broke Louise from her thoughts. Those were yesterday's uncertainty. Great Aunt Lilith nodded. Yes, I want to chat with the midwives as well. Botany, is that what it's called? Louise asked. She didn't want to think about Maxwell anymore. Yet, her mind kept going back to him. He obviously liked talking to her. She liked talking to him. He talked to her as an equal. That's correct. I specialize in plants, Great Aunt Lilith said. That's pretty cool. I'd like to do that, Louise said, trying to distract herself. I'm sure you'd be good at it. I like the midwives. They aren't like other women, Louise said. Like you, Great Aunt, Lisa added. Great Aunt Lilith smiled. You're too kind. I share some similarities with the midwives. We agree on a lot of the unexplainable events that happen. But your great uncle Knox and your father wouldn't agree. Why not? Louise asked. They like to see what happens with their own eyes. Thankfully, your mom, Billy, and Vivian are a little more open to the unknown. It helps balance out the manor. What about Killer Annie? Louise asked as the wagon trotted by the old woman's house. The woman was standing out front, holding a chopping axe with one hand and a chicken's neck in the other. A dog was barking beside her, wagging his tail rapidly. She's gonna do it, Lisa shouted. Not so loud, Lisa, Great Aunt Lilith said. Lisa's shout caught the old lady's attention. With her axe wielding hand, she waved at them. The girls waved back. Then, the axe swung down, slicing through the chicken's neck. The body toppled onto the ground with the wings fluttering. Boy, Louise's eyes widened. Did you see that? Yeah, Lisa said. It just rolled off. Don't mind the old lady, Great Aunt Lilith said. She seems harmless. Seems. That was the key word. Louise wanted to know why Great Aunt Lilith had chosen that word. Maybe it didn't matter. Killer Annie just annoyed Louise and Lisa. She was too friendly and smelled weird. The lady was always at church, which made it worse. She'd probably be there until the day she died. Judging by those wrinkles, that probably wouldn't take very long. Then, she would be like that chicken. Dead. The wagon rolled into town. On weekdays, Rowley was always busier due to the daily grind. This was the working life, 
which Louise had yet to experience. Great Aunt Lilith brought the wagon to the butcher shop and locked the horse and wagon up. Finally, the girls could spend the day here without Mom breathing down their neck. Let's say hello to the hard-working men, shall we? Great Aunt Lilith said. Yeah, Lisa said. The three went into the back door of the butcher shop. Great Aunt Lilith swung the door open and let the girls walk inside. They moved through the dark, narrow hall toward the back of the butcher shop. Ahead, they saw Great Uncle Billy chopping up a freshly plucked chicken. His apron was bloody, and his gloves equally as gory. The girls rarely saw this side of the store. Great Uncle Billy, Louise said with a smile. Billy's frown reversed into a closed smile. He waved his butcher knife at the two girls and then slammed the blade into the flesh of the animal. Where's father? Lisa asked, staring at the front of the store. He had to meet Jacob, Billy said. He'll be back. Great Aunt Lilith raised her eyebrow. Knox's plan? That's right, Billy said. A jingle came from the front door. A customer came in and walked up to the front counter. The man was a little grubby, probably a farmer, and raised up his hand. Oi, think I could get some chicken breasts? Billy put the blade down. Sorry, girls. I need to help. That's okay, Louise said. Come along, Great Aunt Lilith said. Let's see if we can find the midwives here. If not, we'll catch them on the way home after we visit the greenhouse. The girls followed Great Aunt Lilith out of the butcher shop. A couple of buildings over were the midwives. They sat in the shade by the drugstore as they usually did, watching people go by. It seemed to be what they did for leisure when they weren't performing magic in the forest. On the other side of the road, Louise spotted a tall man in a business suit with slicked back hair, Maxwell Connors. He walked into a building with dark wooden exterior and a sign above the door stating, Agency Mining. That had to be his workplace. It'd be nice to have a conversation, not just in passing, wouldn't it? Maxwell's words slid into her head. That was what adults did. They had conversations. They didn't act like lost puppies. That was for boys, like Edward. Great Aunt Lilith changed directions as she saw the midwives walking toward them. That's convenient, she said. Let's get to business first. Rowan was the first to notice the three residents of Rutherford Manor and waved. Lilith, my dear. Lisa and Louise, too? Great Aunt Lilith waved at them. It's a pleasure to see you all. I didn't think you'd be in town. You're right. Usually we stay home on Mondays, Elise said. We've been drawn to the town of Rowley more in the past couple of weeks, Rochelle said. Something is magnetizing us. Think it has anything to do with the... rodent I mentioned? Great Aunt Lilith asked. Possibly, Rowan said. It is hard to tell, as you know. It's just small signals. We listen, waiting for the energy to amplify. Has it? Not yet. If you have any more insight into the rodent or the owl feathers, let me know. Things around the manor have been... tense. Of course. What can we do for you? Rowan asked. I'm looking for some trinkets. I figured you three would be the best to talk to. Rochelle perked up. What are you looking for? It's to help my husband, Knox. He, he has a complex project, Great Aunt Lilith said. Elise leaned down to Lisa and said, have any luck summoning birds again? That was mean, Lisa said. You have to show me how you did that. Elise raised the magic pouch of hers. With this? 
Louise folded her arms. Elise had Lisa locked into one of her traps. What a tease. It didn't involve Louise, though. She could be fooled once, but not the second time. Louise was mature. She had conversations. Except for right now. Lilith was engaged with Rowan and Rochelle. Their great aunt pulled out a piece of paper with writings and scribbles on it. Rowan squinted, and Rochelle folded her arms as great aunt Lilith explained what the written word was on the paper. Whatever it was had the three hooked. Elise was showing Lisa hand motions that Louise guessed probably had to do with the summoning of birds from thin air. It was a magic trick. That was all. Everyone was deep in discussion, except for Louise. Boring, she thought while taking a step away. The group didn't notice. She raised the stakes higher and took a few more steps. No one broke from their conversation. Louise took a couple more steps and then casually turned around, walking away. It looked like she was free. She glanced over to the butcher shop as a couple more customers walked inside. Great Uncle Billy was too busy. She eyed the H&C mining building. Maxwell was there. He'd have something to say. Louise walked up to the entrance of the building and pulled the door open. She stepped into the front lobby of a large open space. There was a front desk. It was empty. A staircase led to the second floor. A hallway was to the left. Behind the front desk was a mounted pickaxe. On the ground in front of the desk was a bare rug skin. Rick! Maxwell's voice floated from down the hall. I'm going to work through this one. Tell Brandon to come back tomorrow when you see him tonight. He has a lot of letters to catch up on. No one else was in the building. Maxwell mustn't know. Louise followed the voice, walking through the lobby and toward the hallway. There were two doors. One probably led out back. The other was open. She crept up to the entrance, peeking in. There was an office with a large desk. Maxwell sat behind it with a stack of papers and a pen. He seemed focused, stressed. Louise thought about leaving for a moment, but decided against it. It was either talk to Maxwell or go back to watching the group and do nothing. Hi, Louise said, standing in the middle of the doorway. Maxwell looked up, startled. Louise, what are you doing here? I'm just in town with my great aunt. She's been doing some shopping. Am I bugging you? The man paused, staring at her. Then, he gave her a warm smile. No, not at all. What a surprise to see you, Maxwell said, placing the pen down. He adjusted his vest and stood up from the desk, walking over to her. Please, come in. Did Rick or Brandon let you in? I didn't see anyone, Louise said while stepping into the room. She noticed that the far wall had a massive map of Illinois on it. It was covered in pins and colored threads. What's that? That is my work, Maxwell said. You work on maps? Maxwell let out a laugh. <laughs> Not quite. Those are various mining routes where we move the coal. It might not be of interest to you. It is, Louise said. Act mature, she thought to herself. Maxwell seemed to think highly of her. She'd hate to do something stupid. Then he'd see her as a kid. Then she'd be no better than Edward. A young lady of exquisite taste, I see, Maxwell said. Yeah, Louise said. Such a gem, too. The two stared at one another, not blinking. He reached his hand down to her chin and lifted it up. 
Louise felt a sense of nervousness rush through her. She wasn't sure if it was a good feeling or if it was bad. Maxwell let go of her chin and pointed to a spot on the map where there was a city by a lake. Chicago. Take a look at that. That's where I am from. Louise obeyed, walking closer to the map. She heard a clicking sound. She turned to see that the door was now closed. Maxwell walked from the entrance and back to her. Louise faced the map, eyeing the city illustration that was by the shoreline. There was writing on it too, but she couldn't make it out. I always wanted to go to Chicago, Louise said. You haven't gone? No, I haven't. I hear great things about it. Maxwell placed both hands on Louise's shoulders. I think you would do quite well there. Yeah, she said. I think so too. Such a developed young lady such as yourself. Maxwell slowly moved his hand down her shoulders. Louise froze. He stepped a little closer, pressing her against his back. Something wasn't right. She tried to move, but there wasn't any wiggle room. She began to sweat. Young and beautiful. His hands began to move down her back, lower. His other hand slithered around her front, grabbing hold of her breast. Stop! Louise shouted. She tried to break free, but he gripped her tightly, preventing her from moving, squeezing. Don't squirm, Maxwell sneered. Louise tried to scream, but he freed his hand from her breast and covered her mouth. His other moved down her hip, ready to pull off her undergarments. A crack erupted from behind him. He stiffened, hands in place. His body went limp as his hand released her mouth. Louise broke free and spun around to see blood drizzling down his neck and onto his white shirt. A pointed metal blade stuck out of his neck from the back of his spine. Burly, bloody hands held Maxwell by his hair, dragging him backward and revealing Great Uncle Billy. The door was open. He held a hatchet with his free hand and lunged it into Maxwell's gut, causing the man's eyes to shoot open. Louise froze watching as the hatchet carved into Maxwell's stomach downward. Billy plucked his weapon free and swung it again. This time, lower. The weapon hooked in between his legs, ripping into the flesh and bone of his crotch. Billy let go of the man's hair and held onto the hatchet with both hands from behind. He let out a roar as he used both hands to lift Maxwell off the ground with the hooked hatchet. Maxwell's weight was too much. The flesh tore as the hatchet pulled free from Maxwell's body, shredding upward. He landed with a heavy thud on the ground, gurgling in pain. Remnants of his mangled genitals draped from the torn trousers. Red liquid poured onto the hardwood floorboards. Sprawled on the ground, Maxwell attempted to back away. Please, the man managed to say, choking on his own blood. His legs twitched. There was too much blood loss. He could barely keep his hand up, trying to ask for mercy. Billy kept walking forward. Blood dripped from the hatchet's tip. He raised the blade up high and lunged it down into Maxwell's face, piercing through his forehead and out his mouth in a curved arc. He was gone. One moment, Maxwell had stood in front of Louise as a human being. Now, he was just a corpse. The disfigured mess that was Maxwell's form looked oddly similar to the dying rodent from only a couple weeks ago. Flesh and blood. Suffering. Then, stillness and quiet. There was really no difference between human and beast on the inside. 
Billy let go of his hatchet, letting Maxwell collapse to the ground. Why are you here? Great Uncle Billy demanded. I... I don't... Louise trembled. She felt her legs shake. An empty sensation ruptured in her core. It eradicated the tingling she'd felt earlier, consuming her whole form. A growing hole that she could not identify. A void. Did he hurt you? Great Uncle Billy asked. No, I, I don't know. Louise, do you understand what he was about to do? Billy asked, pointing at the red mess. I, I don't know, Louise repeated. She had no idea what else to say. You're not old enough for this. For him. He was taking advantage of you. He, he, he was nice, Louise whined. Niceness is a mask for pedophiles. A single tear began to slide down her face, then a second, and several more followed. She wasn't even sure what the word pedophile meant, but she pieced it together. It was Maxwell. It was what he tried to do to her. He was too friendly. He treated her like a woman, but as Great Aunt Lilith had put it, she was barely over a decade old. I'm so sorry, Louise, Billy said. He hurried over to the curtains, closing them shut, and then the door. Louise continued to cry, standing stiffly while staring at Maxwell's bloody body. He was not your friend, Louise. Maxwell was a predator, Billy said, returning to her, getting on his knees to be at eye level. These types of men take advantage of girls your age. They will do things to you that will never leave you. It'll scar your spirit and mind. Worry filled the man's eyes. I'll clean this up. You need to leave. Now. Louise continued to stare at Maxwell's body. It wasn't Maxwell anymore. It was the rodent. He, he liked me. I don't, I don't. Louise, this is wrong. We'll talk later. You can't tell anyone about this. Understood? Rutherford Manor has enough eyes on it. We're outcasts. Louise stared at him frozen. Go! Billy shouted. Louise sheepishly scurried away, stepping around the blood puddle that traveled across the floor. She quietly opened the door and slipped out, rushing down the hall, through the lobby, and out the building. She wiped the tear from her eye and panted heavily. She could feel her cheeks flush up. They were probably bright pink like some stupid clown. Lisa, her great aunt Lilith, and the midwives were still talking as if nothing had ever happened. She wondered how much time had passed in the room with Maxwell. It couldn't have been more than a few minutes. How did Billy get there so quick? How did he know? But she couldn't ponder over it now. Billy said to be quiet. She felt ashamed and just wanted to be normal. Hopefully, her face wouldn't give it away. Louise wiped the tear from her eyes and took a deep breath, gathering her courage to rejoin the group. Great Aunt Lilith continued to chat with Rowan and Rochelle. Lisa was still engaged. Elise was not. She stared right at Louise, the Lady of Pain. And that is the end of episode 10 for Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. That sure was intense. Uh, good riddance to Maxwell. And uh, Spaulding doesn't seem to be doing any better. Louise is going to be a bit scarred. And how is Billy going to clean up that mess? That's uh, stuff that we are going to have to find out in the next episode.
If you enjoyed this, pass it along to your friends. Uh, tell them about it. Uh, you can support me on Patreon, or you can grab the full book in print or ebook of Fire, Pain, and Ruin on Amazon to find out what happens. Or you can wait until next week. So I'll catch you then. And until then, ciao.